Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'm turning back to Isaiah chapter 41. And I want to direct our attention just to verse 10 this morning. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. The Lord says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. And my title for this morning is Five Truths to Fight Fear. Five Truths to Fight Fear. Today is the first Sunday of 2022, and uh, the beginning of any year provides us, doesn't it, with a good opportunity to uh, stop and to pause in our spiritual lives, a time to reflect, a time to take stock. It can be very profitable, I think, at times for us to stop and remind ourselves of the past and to look back and see the goodness of God. The children of Israel, for example, were often reminded, weren't they, of their history. They were told not to forget that they were once slaves in Egypt and that the Lord had brought them out. He'd brought them forth, didn't he, out of the house of bondage. He had borne them on eagles' wings, he says, and he had brought them to himself. And they were not to forget that wonderful moment in their history. And the new year is, a, is an opportunity for us as Christians to look back. An opportunity to give thanks to God. Thanks for his continuing mercy and his continuing grace to us. Give thanks for our salvation. Thanks that as he is our keeper, as we read at the beginning of the service, he's the shade on our right hand. Thanks that he preserves our going out and our coming in. But the new year also provides us, doesn't it, with an opportunity to look forward. And again, as Christians, we are encouraged in the scriptures to do this. Paul, well, Peter rather instructs us to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Paul, writing in Titus chapter 2, says that we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. We're to run with patience, aren't we, the race that is set before us. We're to forget those things that are behind and we are to be reaching forth unto those things that are before, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But there's a problem, isn't there? Because so often as we look forward, instead of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, instead of remembering all the Lord's blessings to us in the past, instead, like, like Peter, remember when he was walking on the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water, we so often see the waves, don't we? And we often see the wind being boisterous. And our hearts fail us for fear. And we can become afraid. And this was the experience of God's people in Isaiah's day. And it was going to be the experience of God's people when they were going to be taken into captivity as Isaiah writes to these people. There would be many who would be fearful. They would be full of fear as they looked ahead, as they saw all that was coming. But here in this, this chapter that we read from earlier, here in Isaiah chapter 41, the Lord seeks to comfort his people. 
And the part that we read a few moments ago, the Lord says no less than three times, fear not, fear thou not, fear not, he says to his people. As God's people, we're not to act in fear, he says, like the nations around you, but you're to act in faith. And it's with remarkable tenderness that the Lord comes and he speaks these words to his people and he, these are words of encouragement, they're words of hope, they're, they're to silence their fears, to strengthen their faith, despite the many distresses that are going to come upon them. And this morning what I would like us to do is I'd like to take these words of verse 10 and I want us to look at them very closely together. And what I'd like us to do really is to make these words in a sense as a, a motto text for us as we go forward into this new year as a church. We may have fears individually. We may have fears collectively as, as a company of God's people. But here in Isaiah 41 verse 10, the Lord answers our fears. And in this verse, the Lord gives us five wonderful truths, five truths that we can take and that we're going to focus on this morning, five truths to fight the fear, any fears we may have in the future. Five truths to fight fear. And so... Let's look at this verse together this morning and notice these five wonderful truths that the Lord gives us here. And the first truth that God gives us here to fight fear is the truth of God's presence. God's presence. The verse says there in verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Now the, uh, the boys and girls, the young people here uh, this morning, I think you'll understand something of what the Lord is trying to say here because... Sometimes we can be afraid of something, can't we? Afraid of some situation. Uh, perhaps you, uh, you need to go upstairs and the light's off and it's dark and, you, and there's no one else upstairs and so you're afraid to go up the stairs. Or perhaps uh, you get asked to do something in front of a large group of people and uh, everyone's looking at you and so you, you become a bit afraid. You don't want to go up to the front. Well, what do you do in such a situation as that? And the boys and girls, I'm sure you know what you do. You ask someone to go with you. You ask to hold someone's hand. Can you come with me? I don't want to go up the stairs because it's, it's dark and I'm, and I'm scared. I want you to stand by my side. And when the children of Israel were going to be carried off into, into bondage, they were going to be afraid. And it would seem as if there was no one by their side. It would seem as if God had abandoned them and left them and forsaken them. But the Lord says to them, fear thou not, I am with thee. He says, look, you don't need to be afraid because I will be there. I'll be by your side. And believer, this morning this is true for all of God's people. We have the continued presence of God with us wherever we go. God does not promise that he will somehow support his people with a little bit of divine aid and it will only come at certain times, in certain situations, nor does he promise that he will, he will be with his people in essence. He doesn't say, I'm going to occasionally send an angel to, to aid you and, and help you. You know, when you, when you reach rock bottom, then I'll come and help you. That's not what the Lord says. The Lord emphatically states that he is with his people. Now, the interesting uh, thing about this statement here is that it's in the perfect tense. Now, I'm going to repeat this to you over the next few uh, points of this sermon because it's important for us to understand 
It's in the, the perfect tense, and the perfect in tense indicates that what is being stated here is something that was true in the past. So he says, I am with thee, that was true in the past. But it also indicates that what is being said is still true now in the present. So yes, I was with you in the past, and I am with you now in the present. But the perfect tense also indicates that what was true in the past and what is true in the present will also be true for all of the future. And so when we look again at this statement, what the Lord says is, I am with thee. He's saying, I've been with you all the way through the past. I am with you even now, and I will be with you forevermore. And so therefore he says to them, fear not. He says, I'm by your sides. And that's why as Christians we can sing, can't we, those wonderful words, all the way my Saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Can you not sing those words from your heart, believer? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us every step of our earthly pilgrimage, guiding us and leading us. And his presence is guaranteed, whatever our personal circumstances may be. You know, if you just turn over a few chapters into chapter 43 and verse 2, look at these wonderful words that the Lord gives again to his people, again to, uh, to take away their fears. He says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. He says, wherever you go, through the waters, through the fire, I'm going to be there with you. Whether it is trying circumstances, whether it's physical trials and infirmity, whether it's some great temptation you face, the Lord says, I am with thee. I wonder if you've ever seen the film about the life of Corrie ten Boom, about the hiding place, about the book. There's a wonderful moment in that film when they're all being bundled onto the cart, being led away, having been caught, and the, the German soldiers are there, and the German soldier counts up and he says, there's six people, and the father says, no, seven, because the Lord is with us. And isn't that true, believer, in your life? Even though you, you know it, you know the Lord is with you every step of the way. And scripture testifies to this over and over again. The Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego when they were in the fire. In all the ups and downs and, and the topsy-turvy life of Joseph, we're told on a number of occasions, the Lord was with him. And David tells us, doesn't he, in Psalm 23, that even when we approach death itself, the Lord will be by our side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. So here's the first truth that we can take into this new year. It's the promise of God's presence. But there's a second truth that we notice from this verse, and that is this truth of God's person. God's person. The verse says, Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Now again, we need to remember that this was a message that comes uh, to a people who were going to find themselves in a strange land. They were going to be taken away to Babylon. It was going to be a land where there'd be strange gods. In actual fact, of course, sadly, they'd begun to worship some of these false 
pagan gods already in their, in, their own, in their own land and they had sadly turned away from the living gods and they'd fashioned for themselves, hadn't they, gods that had ears but couldn't hear and eyes but couldn't see. And the Lord makes this point here in chapter 41 about these false gods that they could never compare with him. Just look at verse 1 of the chapter that we read, verse, chapter 41 and verse 1. He says, look, keep silence before me, O islands. He's calling, as it were, a conference. He says, look, bring the nations to me and bring all your gods to me. Let's, have a, let's sit down and let's have a talk about this. Let's have a conference. Let's speak about this. And in verse 2, he then begins to say, look, listen to me. Be quiet as I speak. Who raised up the righteous man? Now he's talking here about that moment in history when Cyrus came into power. He raised him up to rule over kings. And he gave him a land uh, and he made all the enemies fall before him as dust to the sword and so on. And then the Lord says, look, who has done this? Was it your gods? Was it your nation? Was it your power? No, he says, it's me. It's me that's done this. Who can claim to have rule over kings of this world? Look at verse 4. He says, who has wrought and done it? And what's the answer at the end of verse 4? I, the Lord, I, Jehovah, the first And with the last, I am he. He says, look, no one can compare to me. I'm the Lord. Nothing, you see, falls outside of his power and his jurisdiction. And then in the the next verses, he begins to mock the false gods. Verse 7, he talks about the carpenter. He makes his idol. He gives it to the goldsmith. The goldsmith covers it to make the idol look attractive. It then has to be soldered down and fastened down to stop it toppling over. Jehovah says, can you not see the the irony in worshipping such a god? It's been made by men's hands. And then it needs fixing in place to stop it falling over. These gods are utterly impotent. But the Lord, he says, look, I am God. I am the first. And I am the last. In the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 40, he's described something of his greatness. You can go back and read that chapter. Think of verse 17. He tells us that all nations before him are as nothing. Verse 22, he tells us it's he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. That's a wonderful expression speaking of the the overarching sovereignty of God. And he says the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. He's the one that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. In verse 18, he says, you know, to whom then will you liken me? To whom then will you, will you liken me as a God? Can any comparison be made? Verse 28, he says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And here in our text this morning, this same God who is the everlasting God, the one who rules over nations, the one who controls all things, he says, I am thy gods. Believer, this morning, isn't this a wonderful truth? We belong to him and he to us. He is our gods. Friends may may come and go. Family may, may fail us at times, but our God will be our God for all eternity. No wonder he says in this verse, be not dismayed. I wonder if you've ever heard children talking to each other. Perhaps you can 
remember this from your days at school or perhaps you've heard children, perhaps you've, if you've got children, children have come to your house and you hear them talking to each other and they, and uh, it's quite amusing, isn't it, sometimes to eavesdrop on children as they talk to other children because sometimes they just go off into realms of pure fantasy, don't they? I wonder if you've ever heard a conversation a bit like this. You get one child and he says to the other child, you know, my daddy's got this, uh, this really cool bike which he rides. And the other child says, well, my daddy, he's got a bike too. And actually, he's got this really cool helmet that he wears when he's riding his bike. And the first child has to do then better, doesn't he? And he has to add a bit more. He says, well, my daddy's got a, uh, he's not just got a bike, he's got a motorbike as well. And the second child says, well, my dad's got a motorbike too. And he's let me have a go on it. And then the next child answers, isn't he? Well, my dad's building me this super fast go-kart. And the second child says, well, my dad's building me a rocket and we're going to space. And they just go on and on and on, don't they? Getting bigger and higher and, and, and it just, it's quite amusing, isn't it? You get the idea. Children like to exaggerate and, and they like to ha- lie in that sense, but they have this wonderful trust and confidence in their parents. And believe it, this morning I wonder if we look at our Heavenly Father and we have the same confidence and trust in our gods. This is my gods. He's the everlasting gods. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. Do we say this to people? Do you know my gods? He's my gods. He's the most wonderful God you could ever imagine. There's no searching of his understanding. He's the one who gives power to the faints. He's the one who the nations are as a drop of a bucket before him. He's the first and he's the last. That's my gods. And you remember, friends, that this is in the perfect tense. He says, I have been your God. Yes, in eternity past. I chose you before the foundation of the world. But he says, I'm your God now. Whatever your circumstances. And furthermore, I'll continue for all eternity to be your God through Jesus Christ. What a wonderful truth this is. What a truth to take with us into the new year. This God is our God's. But there's a third truth that we can notice from this. We've seen the truth of God's presence and the truth of God's person. But the third truth that we can use to fight fear this morning is that we also have God's power. God's power. It says here in our verse, I will strengthen thee. Now this truth reminds us, I think, of something that at times we can be too proud to admit And that is the truth that we're weak. We're frail, aren't we? We like to think that we're strong. We like to think that we're strong physically or strong mentally, strong even spiritually. Any problems that come our way, you know, we like to think that we can handle them. We've got a control of our life and so on. We've got it all under our control. But if we're honest with ourselves, we have to acknowledge that we're weak. Physically, we're finite beings, aren't we? We're made of the dust of the ground. As we grow older, our strength begins to sap, doesn't it? Our memories fail. Our mental faculties begin to dim. We need sleep. We need rest. We need food. We need drink to sustain us. We are, we are weak. And likewise, uh, spiritually, we succumb, don't we? Even sometimes to the smallest of temptations. And daily, we fail our Savior and we fall short of his glory. And chapter 40, the previous chapter, reminds us that even the strongest and the fittest in the prime of their youth shall faint and be weary. 
Remember what verse 30 says there in Isaiah 40, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. And that phrase there, young men, it it means those who've been specially selected. It has the sense of specially selecting men for something particular like the Olympics, say, or for military service. And yet even such men, those who are in the peak of their fitness, even they can grow weary. And yet despite our weakness and despite our weariness, God promises to us as his people, I will strengthen thee. He promises to his people that he will provide divine strength. He says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall change their strength, be given a new and different strength, that they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And so as we begin this new year, we're assured that God will provide us with all the strength that is needed. If only we would wait upon him. Strength for every circumstance, divine power for every situation. We just sung those words, didn't we, from that that hymn, How Firm a Foundation. We said, in every condition, in sickness, in health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth, at home or abroad, on the land, on the sea, as days may demand, shall your strength ever be. And so we have this other promise here, the promise of God's power but there's a fourth thing that we can notice a fourth truth this morning and that is that we have the promise of God's protection God's protection you notice what the verse goes on to say says I will strengthen thee yea I will help thee and that word that's translated help there is most often used in scripture to speak of help in times of battle in times of fighting when the enemy attacks It's a word that speaks of fortification and protection, of shielding someone. And so what the Lord offers us here is he says, I will help thee. He's offering his divine protection and assistance against our enemies. And as God's people, we have many enemies, don't we? We have many foes. We have, of course, our great adversary, the devil. He goes about as a roaring lion, doesn't he? Seeking whom he may devour. And this new year, of course, may be filled with many uncertainties, but there's one thing that we can be certain about, and that is that the devil will try and attack us and sift us and have us, that we're going to be, at times, assaulted by Satan. He will do everything in his power to have you, believer. He will try and trap you and and trick you and ensnare you. He will shoot his fiery darts, and he's a cunning foe. He will do, do everything. He will use every scheme to try and trip you up. But the Lord says, my grace is sufficient. The Lord says, yea, I will help you. I will protect you. Literally, it is surely I will help you. Yea, I will help you. I will be there every moment. He promises to be our shield and our buckler. He promises to compass us about. He's a shield unto them that put their trust in him, the scriptures tell us. And just as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. And in this chapter, we haven't time to look at it this morning, but you notice how he speaks about helping them over and over again. Verse 13, fear not, I will help thee. He talks about those coming up against them. They were incensed against thee, but they shall be ashamed and confounded 
They that strive with thee, in verse 11, shall perish. He says, fear not, I'm going I'm to make you like a, a new sharp threshing instrument. All those who are against you will be just carried away like the chaff in the winds. God says, look, I will help thee. And friends, this morning, isn't this a glorious comfort as we stand on the precipice of a new year? The Lord not only promises us his power, but he promises to arm us and assist us and protect us. And friends, again, let me say, it's in the perfect tense. He's helped us in times past, hasn't he? Praise God, we can look back and we can raise our Ebenezers and say, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. But the Lord promises to help us even now. And he promises to help us for all the days until that day when we come face to face with Jesus Christ. We've seen then these four wonderful truths that we can use to fight fear, the truth of God's presence, the truth of God's person, the truth of God's power, the truth of God's protection. But notice lastly with me the fifth one, and that is that we also have God's preservation. God's preservation. Notice what it says at the end of the verse in verse 10. He says, Yea, surely I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. He says, I'm going to uphold thee. I'm going to sustain thee. I'm, I'm, his promise, it's a promise to his people that through this life, even through all of the troubles of this life, even through the portal of death itself, we're going to have the very presence and the preservation of God. And the imagery here is so striking, isn't it? And, it? and it's so tender. Remember, we're speaking about God, the Lord, the everlasting God. The one who sits upon the circle of the earth and yet he says here that he holds out his hands and he holds our hands and he upholds us by his hands. The hand in scripture is always an emblem of power. God promises to uphold us with his omnipotent power. But of course the hand is also the the organ of action. It's what we use to do things, isn't it? We use our hands to write and to create and to work. We shape one another's hands in fellowship. And it's here here God says to us personally, he's going to move his hand in power and he's going to uphold us, uphold his people, uphold his children. And the picture here is of of a father or a mother holding a little child by the hands. Walking side by side. The Lord holds his hand to ensure that we don't trip, to ensure that we don't force, to ensure that we don't come to any harm. You know, if the child slips or stumbles, the father steadies the little one by holding the hands. He holds the little child's hand to make sure that the child walks the right way. You think of a, a large crowd of people and the child can't see. And so the, the parent holds the heart of the hand to lead and to guide. And of course, parents hold the children's hand to pull them away from danger as well. Walking by the side of the road and the cars are going past and the father or the mother holds the child's hand to pull them away from, from the danger. And as believers, this is what the Lord does for us. There's times when we may slip into sin and we may stumble There are times in our earthly pilgrimage when we wander from the straight and the narrow way. There are times when we fall, but he's holding our hand, preserving us, supporting us and keeping us all the way. When we feel weak, God holds us up by his grace, doesn't he? 
When we tremble, he supports us with his precious promises. When we grow faint, we can lean on God's gracious and loving character. When we waver, he encourages us with his words. And he promises us to uphold us with the right hand of his righteousness. It's a righteous hand. A hand that does what is good and just and right. Friends, this morning, do you not know this? Do you not know this closeness with God's? This hand of God holding your hand and supporting you and preserving you. Keeping you as we read in that Psalm 121 at the beginning of the service. The Lord is our keeper. Watching our going out and our comings in. And as you think of that, the hand of God, doesn't it remind you of our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, God is a spirit, isn't he? He doesn't have hands like we have hands. But it reminds us there was a time when Christ came into this world. He was made of a woman, as we were thinking last week. And he had hands like our hands. Hands that worked at the carpenter's bench. Hands that touched lepers and cleansed them. Hands that broke the bread by the the Sea of Galilee. Hands, of course, that at that last moment were nailed to the cross. Hands that still bear the marks of those nails. It's amazing to think, isn't it, that the Lord upholds us with that hand. Still bears the marks even today, a hand that reminds us of his love and grace to us as sinners. And as we begin this new year, We can take these five truths here and we can take them as we go forward into the new year and we can look forward with confidence in faith, having no fear. We have the promise here of God's presence. We have the promise of his person. We have the promise of his power and his protection. And we also have the promise of his preservation. May we then praise the Lord this morning, the one who does preserve us, preserves our going out and our coming in from this time forth, even forevermore.